Be reading in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of our Lord. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Now then, that is, now then, that it, it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was saying before, we had a great week this past week at VBS. Uh, there was a lot of energy. Well, at least the week started off with a lot of energy. We got tired by the end, as with every week. Um, but the kids... Uh, enjoyed it. And I got to see a lot of the students as they were coming through Bible time. And um, uh, it seemed like every week when we would review, they would they would get it. They would understand. Uh, I can't judge their hearts, but it seems like uh, they were understanding that God's Word helped them to stand strong, that the love of God helped them to stand strong, that, um, that we, uh, our family and friends, help us to stand strong in God. Um, Honestly, it was, looking back on it, um, it, it was a great time, and uh, we were blessed by it. So, once again, thank you to all those who did help uh, to make it just a huge success. And um, I know that I have been gone the last several weeks uh, on vacation, and uh, I appreciate those who were able to fill in for me and, uh, and preach. But we are getting back into our series on Galatians. We have made it through the first two chapters in Galatians, and here we are now at Galatians chapter 3. 
But before I started to proceed into chapter 3, I wanted to kind of get ourselves back up to speed. We need to do a little bit of a review to find out or to remember where we are and where we have been. Um, If you recall the situation that is in Galatia and Paul's purpose in writing the book, you see Paul planted the church to the Galatians. And when he planted it, he left so that he could continue on his missionary journey because Paul was a church planter. He would start up a church and then he would move on and he would plant a new church. Well, after he left, if you recall, a group came in called the Judaizers. They came in and they started preaching a gospel that seemed similar to what Paul was saying, but it was different. Because what they were preaching is that you need to be a Jew in order to be a Christian. You need to be circumcised in order to be a real believer. Paul catches wind of this, and so what he does is he pens the book of Galatians, and he writes to them for two reasons. One, to defend the gospel, to get them straight, to bring them back to what he was preaching originally, but he also does it to defend himself, his apostleship, which had come under fire as well from the Judaizers. So here's what we've seen so far. Starting off in chapter 1, Paul informs us that there is no other gospel. There is one. There is only one gospel. And he said, if anyone preaches anything other than the pure gospel, what they had heard originally, then that person should be cursed. Even if it is Paul himself, that person shall be cursed. And then Paul goes on to defend his apostleship, to, in a sense, defend his honor. And he describes... And he demonstrates the power of the gospel in his own life as he describes his conversion on the road to Damascus and what happened uh, after that as well. And then he skips ahead quite a few years and he describes this meeting that he has in Jerusalem with what he calls the pillars of the church with James and John and Peter. And they debate and they discuss this issue of circumcision And when he leaves this meeting, they stand united in the gospel. A little while later, he describes another event that happens between him and Peter, where he has to publicly dress Peter down because Peter was was acting hypocritically. Paul lays out at this point his definition of justification. We see it for the first time here in Galatians. This all-important doctrine of the Christian faith where we receive a right standing before God, not on the basis of our works, but on faith in Christ. Because as Paul says, if we could be justified before God based on our works, then why did Christ die? It would have been for nothing. So finally, here we are. We're at chapter 3 where Paul's passion, as you could tell from reading, uh, starts to overflow. Um, And he reminds us here that the gospel is not just for our justification, but also for our sanctification. And this is key. In fact, playing off of our theme for VBS, and I'm going to need some help here from the students, the gospel helps us... Come on, that was kind of weak. We've got to do better than that. The gospel helps us. Awesome. Thank you. So, 
Um, as we have talked about through the book of Galatians so far, the gospel is this. It is the good news. The good news about what God has done for us in Christ. And we've been looking at uh, Keller's definition, Tim Keller's definition of the gospel that he lays out in his commentary to Galat- the, on Galatians, in which he says, The gospel is the message that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. So when Paul came and he preached the gospel to the Galatians, the Galatians believed. They believed in Christ, they put their faith in him, and they were saved. The Judaizers came into town, and now the Christians in Galatia are thinking that growing in the Christian life is not about the gospel, but it's about works of the law. And Paul has to rebuke them, and he does it very strongly, uh, calling them foolish. And he tells them, you don't just start with the gospel and then move on. You start with the gospel, you continue with the gospel, in fact, you end with the gospel. The gospel is for our justification as well as our sanctification. Uh, Paul makes it obvious in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that justification is a result of our faith in Christ, not just works of the law, where he writes in verses 15 and 16. He says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. So, what we talked about last time, three weeks ago, is that through faith in Christ, our legal standing before God has been changed. Instead of guilty, God pronounces us innocent. Instead of sinful, he pronounces us righteous. But it's not because of our own righteousness. It is because of Christ's righteousness that is imputed to us. This means that Christ took on our sinfulness on the cross and we receive his righteousness through faith. Instead of guilty, we receive his innocence. Justification by faith made sense to the Galatians. They understood that um, to some degree. Paul is calling them foolish in these verses, not because of how they became Christians, but uh, they, believe, they believed in Jesus and they were justified. They believed in justification by faith. It seems that they understood that to some degree. He is calling them foolish because they don't understand that their sanctification is by faith as well. So I keep throwing out this word sanctification. Sanctification. It's a big word. And we need to define exactly what we mean by that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the term justification and what that means and the Shorter Catechism's definition of that. We're going to do that to this morning as well with sanctification. The Shorter Catechism question and answer 35 says this, What is sanctification? Plain and simple. And the answer is this. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So let's break that down a little bit. What exactly does this definition mean? 
So first of all, it's a work of God's free grace. Unlike our justification, which is an act of God, sanctification is a work. That means it's a process. This is something that happens throughout our entire lives. And as he says here, it's a work of God's free grace. It's not something that we earn. Just like justification, it is something that is given by God's grace. It's a work, but the important thing is is that it's God's work. And what he does in our lives is that he renews us, he says, in the whole man after the image of God. We are made more and more into the likeness of Christ. It is like God is refining us like gold. He is taking out our impurities and he's making us into the image of his Son. And finally, it says we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live to righteousness. And I think this is where we sometimes trip up and get easily confused. What does this really mean to die to sin and live to righteousness? How, in reality, how can we do that? What does that really look like? I feel like most of the time we believe that dying to sin and living to righteousness, that in order to do that, we need to obey the law. We act like becoming a Christian is God's work, and he does that in our lives. But in order for us to grow as Christians, that's our job. That's something we need to do. We believe that in order to grow as Christians, well, it's obvious we need to go to church every Sunday. We need to attend Sunday school. We need to volunteer for VBS. We need to have family devotions. We need to witness to our friends. Uh, We need to be better people. We need to act like we're happier. We need to make Christian decisions. We need to act in a Christian way. Uh, by doing and saying the right things. That is how we grow as Christians. Uh, Obviously, uh, these are all good things. I'm not going to say that they're not, because they are. And these are things that Christians should be about. We need to be doing these things. But herein lies the problem. We feel that in order to grow as a Christian, that it's all about the things that we do. But in reality, if we think along these lines, we fall into the same trap that the Galatians were falling into. This was one of their problems. And Paul called them foolish for it. Are we so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, having begun with faith, are we now being perfected by the flesh? As I was reflecting on these these verses this last week, um, a lot of my own struggles seem to come to the surface. And um, that's hard when you spend an entire week on your own struggles and your own frustrations. Um, But I I felt like God was teaching me a lot through these verses. And uh, if you're like me at all, uh, it's easy to get frustrated with your lack of progress in terms of your sanctification. Uh, It's easy for me to get frustrated with myself because I feel like at this point in my life, I should be further along. I should be, in a sense, better than I am right now. Um, Sometimes I feel like I'm doing the same things over and over and over again. I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. Um, I feel like things should be different. Um, And when I get frustrated... I usually react in the same way. I, think, I simply think to myself, well, I need to try harder. 
I need to be a better Christian. I convince myself that this time, things are going to be different. Um, But this isn't the process of sanctification. Simply trying harder is not how we grow as Christians. If we fall into this mindset, this is actually a system of works righteousness. This is what Paul was warning the Galatians about. What we're doing is trying to follow the law in order to gain a right standing before God, just like the Galatians were doing. What we're doing, in a sense, is trusting in our own efforts to become more and more like Christ rather than relying on the good news of the gospel. So, let me give you a practical example here. Let's say that you are like Freddy the Friendless. If you were here on Friday night, you met Freddy the Friendless. He had an anger problem, and this stemmed from the fact that he had no friends and no family. Nobody loved him, which is sad because Freddy is a lovable guy. Um, So, let's say that you have a problem with anger. Most of the time, if we struggle with that, we may go to God in prayer and say something like this, "Uh, Lord, please help me with my anger. Please take it away from me, Lord. I need your help. Please help my anger. Now, that's a good place to start, but we can't end there. Usually after a prayer like that, what I would do is usually go out and say, all right, I'm not going to be angry anymore. I'm going to simply be happy, or uh, I'm just going to try to find joy in life. And it'll be great until I encounter the next thing that sets me off, and then I'm angry again. And then there I am, right back on my knees. God, please take away this anger. We can try all of our lives to rid ourselves of anger, but if we don't get at the root of our anger, it will always consume us. You see, anger is typically a symptom of something that is deeper in our lives. An idol of our heart that is causing us to forget the gospel. Causing us to forget the fact that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. For me, most of the time that I get angry is for selfish reasons. Whenever I get angry with my children, it's usually because an issue of my own. Uh, I got angry last night with my children. Um, They were taking a bath, and everything seemed like it was going great until I went in there and realized that there was water all over the floor. We have told them time and time again, you may not splash water out of the tub. But lo and behold... It was like uh, every drop of water was out of the tub. So, um, So I got angry. This is bedtime. Things are supposed to be calming down. You're supposed to go to bed in like five minutes and then I can relax. But no, now we have this mess on our hands. Um, And what I thought to myself was, how dare they do this to me? That was my thought. It, It is my own selfishness. I thought, I've raised them better than this. How could they do this? They know better. Because what I was thinking about, how is it affecting me? Um, I was basing, in a sense, my own self-worth on how they behaved, whether or not they obeyed me as a father. 
And ironically, it happened even this morning. Uh, it seems like Elliot and Oliver have been getting up earlier and earlier recently. And that's my time in the morning. That's my time. Nobody gets up before Daddy. And I get my time there. Um, but lo and behold, uh, even before 7 o'clock, there they were making noises. Um, and I get frustrated and I get angry. But why is that? It's because uh, of my selfishness and I'm finding my self-worth in how my children behave. Not only do I need to repent of my anger, but I need to repent of the deeper issue that is going on in my life. I'm relying on other people for my sense of self-worth. I'm relying on a, on a four-year-old and a three-year-old on how I feel about myself. Uh, in reality, I have Christ to look at for my self-worth. Um, as we mature in our Christian life, uh, two things happen. As we progress in this act of sanctification, we begin to have this deeper understanding of God. We see God more and more for who he is. We see his, his majesty, his beauty, his greatness. Uh, we see his perfection, his love, his justice. We, we begin to understand a little bit more and more how awesome God truly is. And at the same time, as we progress in this sanctification process, we have a deeper understanding of our own sinfulness. Now, don't mishear me. I don't, I'm not saying we sin more. We just understand our sinfulness to a deeper degree. As we see how amazing God is, we begin to see ourselves in a new light. As we get closer to the light of God, we see our own filth more clearly. In reality, it's not that we become more sinful. We just realize how sinful we truly are. But herein lies the beauty of the gospel. Because as we understand God's goodness more and the depth of our sin to a greater degree, we get to understand the gospel that much greater. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection, bridges the gap between God's awesomeness and our sinfulness. As we realize how great God is and as that increases, and as our, the, the knowledge of our sin goes further down, then the, the gap of the gospel gets bigger and bigger. The cross looms larger in our life. We are driven more and more to repentance and we rejoice more fully in Christ's love for us that he would die for someone even as wretched as me. This is how the gospel helps us to stand strong through our justification. The cross looms larger in our lives. We don't stand strong on our own strength, but we stand strong through the gospel, through the greatness of it. Now, it is Father's Day, and I want to take a moment to speak to you fathers. Um, I don't have a ton of experience as a father. I've been a, at this job for five years now almost. But there's a few things that I've learned along the way, and especially in the last five years as being a youth pastor. And um, I think some of the greatest things I've learned during that time is about parenting. And it's hard. <laughs> uh, that is an understatement. But fathers... You have a tremendous amount of influence in your children's lives. 
people would come to me and say, oh, as a youth pastor, you have, you know, you can speak to them in a different way. You, you can get through to them. But I never had even a millionth of the amount of influence as their parents did in their lives. And, and they didn't understand that. Fathers, even more so, uh, you have a tremendous amount of influence. And it is a great privilege, but also comes with a huge amount of responsibility. As fathers, we, in reality, reflect our Heavenly Father to our children. Now, if you can think of something of greater responsibility than that, I would like to hear it, because that is tremendous. Um, And so I would encourage you as fathers to live out the process of sanctification in front of your children. That is really hard for me to do because I want to portray to my children that I am like the man of steel. I am invincible. But what my children need to see from me is my weakness. They need to see me repent in front of my children. They need to see me live out the gospel in front of them in a way that is real. As dads, one of the greatest things that you can do for your children is not to show them how strong you are, but to show them your weaknesses, to show them your shortcomings. I'm not telling you to flaunt your sin in front of your children. You need to show them your, that you can grieve over your sin. Let your children see that you truly have godly sorrow for the things that you do wrong in your life. Let them see God at work in you. Let them see that how God works in reality in someone's life. Don't hide that from them. Show them that someone even as strong as their daddy, someone like that needs the gospel. As Paul moves on in Galatians chapter 3 here, he uses and he raises up Abraham as a great example. Uh, We're not going to spend a lot of time on Abraham this morning uh, because he will continue to use Abraham as an example uh, and the covenant that God makes with Abraham and Abraham's wife, uh, Sarah, and, and Hagar as well. But he raises up Abraham here because he is a great example of a man of faith. People see him often as one who was truly obedient to God and therefore God blessed him, but that's not the case with Abraham. It wasn't his obedience, it was his faith. Because Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed and he was justified. And Abraham believed and he went on the process of sanctification. As I said, we'll get more into the example of Abraham and the covenants that God has made with him. But Abraham is a great example of this. But I want to conclude with this this morning. Um, It is this way. The fact that the gospel is for our justification, it's for our sanctification. The gospel is for our becoming a Christian and growing as a Christian because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. This is the nature of our life as a Christian because of the gospel. You see, Christ's death on the cross is effective not only for our justification, for our becoming a Christian, it's effective 
for our growth as a Christian as well through the Holy Spirit. In, in verse 13 here in Galatians 3, Paul says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. If we don't understand that faith in Christ is just as important for growing as a Christian as it is becoming a Christian, then what will happen to us is that we will continue under the curse of the law. If we think that growing as a Christian is dependent on us being good and doing the right things, then we believe that growing as a Christian is our job, and it's not our job. It, de- it does not depend on our following of the law. Because if it is our job, then we need to keep the entire law, like it says here. And if we don't keep the law perfectly, then we are under God's curse. But thanks be to God, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Through his life and his death and his resurrection, Christ fulfilled the law for us. We don't have to fulfill it anymore. It's been done. It has been completed. But Mike, doesn't this mean then that we can do whatever we want? Absolutely not. It doesn't, ma- it, it doesn't mean then that it doesn't matter how we live. Of course it matters how we live. But now we understand that keeping the law doesn't save us. It doesn't draw us closer to God. Instead, of keeping, instead we keep the law out of gratitude for what God has done for us. We don't do good to gain righteousness. Instead, we do good because we have been declared righteous. This is hard for me to grasp, that that God would look at me and declare me righteous because of the blood of Christ. But we grow in righteousness as we continue to repent and believe the gospel. We don't leave the gospel behind once we become a Christian and we grow by the things that we do. No, the gospel stays with us. It is for our growth. And because our growth in Christ involves our continual repentance of sin and believing the gospel, we're going to do something right now that we have already done in our service. Um, We're going to take some time and we're going to repent and be reminded of the gospel. This is something that, honestly, we cannot do enough of. We are all sinners in need of God's salvation. So as we conclude this morning, what I'd like to do is take some time in silent prayer that we can confess our sins, not just our sins of, God, help me to be less angry, but to get to the root that the idols of our heart, Lord, remove the things that are in my life that are help, uh, hindering me from believing the gospel. After a few moments, I will close us and then remind us again of the gospel. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bring these to you. Lord, you know all our hearts. You know the depths of our sin. And I pray that you would remove the idols of our hearts that hinder us from believing the gospel. Lord, help us to have a spirit of repentance to honestly come before you as we are because you love us 
and you sent your Son to die for us just as we are. We give these to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, we need to be reminded of the gospel because repenting is the first step, but we need to repent and believe. Hear the gospel from Romans chapters 3 and from chapter 8 as well. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And in verse, or in chapter 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.